Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, open up the eyes of our heart so we can see you in a deeper way. Today as we talk about the um, blind man who got his sight, help us to realize the most important sight that we have is our spiritual eyesight. And help us to learn this day how we can sharpen that eyesight and, and see with greater clarity the things you want us to see. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was in um, college, seminary, there was a classmate of mine that um, his name was Dave Andrus, and he was born blind. And um, he was a very interesting guy because, you know, he could tell me by my voice. He'd hear my voice and say, hey, John. I would say, how's it going? And he, even though he couldn't see physically, he had a, another kind of sight. He could look right into the heart. And I could say, fine, but if I didn't mean it, he could tell. And he called me out on it. What's going on, John? And, um, and so sometimes, I mean, especially on a bad day, sometimes I try to walk around him because so, I didn't want to have to share my stuff. But he was always so perceptive to be able to look right into a person's heart. He went through college, seminary, and, and now he's working with our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, working with the area of those who suffer um, from blindness. And just an amazing guy. Well, today, we're going to be talking about a blind man who's able to see. And how's that work? And it's um, a section from John chapter 9, and, and um, as Pastor Al mentioned, we're going to be going through this section, a kind of a lengthy section um, today in the message, and I want to kind of go through it section by section and kind of share with you what happens, and I want you to, to try to visualize the events as they happened um, 2,000 years ago. And it says, as he went along, he saw a blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. I want to stop there for a second. The Jewish people always seem to blame God for everything, okay, back in the Old Testament times. It's like if something happened, they felt God was punishing them, or if, if somebody had a catastrophe, or if they're born blind, that maybe the parents sinned and God's punishing them. And some people still have this mindset, but Jesus sets his disciples straight right away here, and it says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And so the true thought and mindset that Jesus is trying to say is, you know what? In life, things are going to happen. And, you know, God allows things to happen, but we have free will. And sometimes things happen, and things are sometimes hard to understand why they happen. But Jesus says, you know what? God can make things work out. If we think about Romans 8.28, where it says, All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And so we read on. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Let's stop there for a second. You see, in that day and age when someone was blind, in that culture, they were work. And so what would take place was they had to beg. And people saw this man begging for probably many years. All of a sudden now he's seeing. 
And there's, um, if you read the whole chapter, kind of even lays the scripture verse for today. Um, but what we see in this, at one point, the, the disciples, you know, um, actually the Pharisees get involved in the situation, and they want to investigate what really happened. And so they actually interview um, this guy's parents and saying, is this truly your son? And they say, yes, he's our son. And they begin to insult the parents, insult the parents, and they were Jewish in their belief, and they didn't want, did not want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And so what takes place is they say, you know what, he's old enough to talk for himself, why don't you go talk to him directly? Because they were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. And so the Pharisees then go to this man who now sees, next part goes, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees who asked him how he had received his sight, he put mud in my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Now, this should have been like one of the happiest days in this guy's life. He was blind, and now he sees, but yet the church of that time was taken They begin to interrogate They begin to put him down. And it goes on. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, he said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, he was blind, but now I, but now I see. Then he asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And so here we have the church leaders of that day. And they basically, number one, say, We're not disciples of this man. We're disciples of Moses which means they were all about rituals, all about living by the law. And they insult this man, and they ultimately kick him out of their midst. And so Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus heard that he had thrown him, they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. 
Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. There are two groups of people that I want to, or actually three groups I want to talk about in this story. And I want to start with the uh, man who was born blind. You know, imagine going through your life not being able to see. That'd be a tough thing to, to really deal with. And all of a sudden he comes in contact with Jesus on that day, and, and Jesus um, you know, puts that mud in his eyes, he goes and he washes in the pool of Siloam, and, and all of a sudden his, his sight restores. You know, what an amazing situation. And yet, the church of that time, they insult him, they ridicule him, because they just can't buy into what Jesus is trying to do. And so they tried to diminish this whole miracle. And they ultimately even kick him out of the temple, out of their midst, almost excommunicate him. And we see that, but this man, even in this difficult situation, after having, he should be celebrating, Jesus kind of sets him straight. And even though he, he got his sight at that time, he got something even more important. He got spiritual eyesight. He began, began to see spiritually. And that's the most important sight that we receive in this life. You know, Plato had an analogy called it the um, analogy of the cave. And I've used it before, but I want to bring it back because I think it's really fitting for this message. And Plato gives this analogy that life is like people living in a cave. And all they see is shadows. They see shadows of one another. They see their own shadow. And at the entrance of the cave, a light comes in. But from the time that they were born in this cave, they're told, don't go out in the light. You're going to go crazy. The people go out there, they never come back. And when they do come back, they're nuts. Don't ever go out in the light. And so people live in this cave, in the darkness, in the shadows. And it's all they know. There's a guy in the cave, and he's thinking, you know what? My life is miserable in here. What do I have to lose if I go out in that light? What's the worst thing that can happen to me? I'm going crazy anyway. And so he goes out the entrance. As people are shouting, don't do it. He goes out that entrance, and he goes out in the light. And the first thing is he opens his eyes. It's, it's so bright, he can hardly see anything at first. The light is so overpowering. But then his eyes gradually adjust. He's looking around, and it's like, wow. There's birds, and there's trees, and there's colors, and there's animals, and it's just amazing. He's overwhelmed by the beauty he sees. He comes to a pond. He looks in. For the first time in his life, he sees a reflection of what he truly looks like. This was what Plato called enlightenment. And he runs into other people, too, that have come out of the cave, and they begin to talk about this new experience they have now in the light, and they're saying, should we go back to the people in the cave? Yeah, they're going to think we're crazy, but what should we do? Should we go back and try to talk to them, or should we just stay out here and enjoy what we have? There's a lot of similarity between that and where we're at now. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has enlightened us. And we have been given spiritual eyesight. In Hebrews 11.1, it says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And even though we were 
blind spiritually, Jesus gives us sight. And what we now believe, what we see, and what we know is that through Jesus Christ, because of what he has done, we are forgiven. We see what true spirituality is. It's not based upon what we do. It's based upon what Jesus has done for us. But now, because of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection, we now want to go on the right path ourselves. And here we are. There's still people out there living in the the caves of this world. They don't see the full reality of of life and eternity like we do. The question is, what are we going to do with that? This man that got healed that day, he's all excited. And he chooses to worship Jesus, and, and his life is completely changed on that day. But there's another group of people, too. There were those who claimed they could see, but they were blind. The Pharisees, the leaders of the church at that time. And their whole life was all about rules and rituals, and they lived in judgment and condemnation of people, like this blind man. They should have been celebrating and rejoicing with him, but instead they ridicule him, they insult him, and they kick him out of their midst. And what we see in this group of people is, is the very thing that Jesus does not want. In fact, you look at, you read through the Gospels, and what you will notice is that if Jesus goes after a certain group of people, which ones does he really go after? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. Remember one time in Scripture, he's, he's letting them have it. And um, one of the Pharisees says, Jesus, you're hurting our feelings. And he keeps on going. And finally, they start talking amongst themselves, saying, you know what? We need to get rid of this guy. We need to kill him. He's a threat to our way of doing things, to our rules and rituals and regulations. In fact, Jesus, at one point, he calls them blind guides. You are blind guides. That's kind of an interesting statement. You know, Pastor Allen is going to be going to Germany with a group of people. Imagine that their tour guide is blind. He's never seen any of the sights they're going to see. In fact, he can't even see where he's going. Take him the wrong directions. He doesn't know where he's going. He has no clue about what's he's, you know, the, the sights that are there. And so you think about this. So, you know, Jesus is saying, you know what? You Pharisees are leading people down the wrong path spiritually. You don't know what you're doing. It's bad enough that you are doing this stuff yourself, that you are, have the wrong set of beliefs here, but now that you're leading people in the wrong path, it's even worse. Now, how does it apply to our day and age today? And what I see in our day and age, I see four different types of Christianity. And I want to ask you, what type of Christianity do you fall into? Because sometimes we may think that we see, but yet we're not clearly seeing things. There might be some vision challenges. You know, if we believe that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he lived, died, and rose, we're going to go to heaven, but, but sometimes the world begins to blind us a little bit. And sometimes our vision becomes obstructed or blurred. One type of Christianity is Christians are judgmental of others. They go through their life putting down other people. And they feel like they're better than everybody else. This is not a good way for us to live. Another type of Christianity is where people think they're saved by their good works. And so what they do is they, they're going through life thinking, yeah, Jesus died and rose for me, but there's got to be something I need to do too to, to kind of be part of the salvation process. And they're wondering, have I ever done enough? What's enough to please God? That's a tough way to live. There's a third group called the lawless Christians. 
Their attitude is, hey, I'm saved by grace. Jesus died and rose for me. Now I can go out and do whatever I want. The lawless Christians. The judgmental ones, the legalistic ones, the lawless ones. If you're in any of those three categories, to some degree your spiritual vision is blurred. You may not even realize it. There is a fourth group. This is the one that God calls us to be in. And what we realize in this, in this group, we realize, you know what? I have sinned. I have made mistakes in my life. I have lived outside the bounds of, of love, but God in his love sent me a Savior in Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life for me, who, who went to a cross and died for me, who, who rose for me, and his Holy Spirit has put faith into my heart, and because of this, I believe, I know my sins are gone, I'm going to live forever, and knowing this and knowing who my God is, I want to live a good life in response to him. I'm not doing this to save myself. I've already been saved, but I want to follow his ways. I want to do his will in my life. That's the path that Jesus calls upon us to be on. So there is the guy who was blind who can see, and he can see a lot more clearly than those church leaders of his time. Then there's those who thought they could see, but they were blind. Then there's Jesus. And Jesus, with 20-20 spiritual vision, who sees everything all the time knows every thought, every intention behind every thought, who's watching us all the time, who knows the master plan for each of our lives. And he's tuned in. And he's the ultimate example for all of us, but he's the one who can help us to see more clearly. And that's what he wants for each one of us. He is the spiritual eye doctor. Now I want to tell you a story. When I was in seventh grade, I was in class, and I usually sat in the back of the classroom. But I was noticing that the teacher's writing was getting more blurry, so I'm thinking, the teacher's messing up. She needs to write more clearly, but it's, so it's her fault, so I'm going to move closer to the front of the classroom. And so she kind of saw me moving closer over time to the front of the classroom, and my dad also was a teacher, so she told my dad, I think your son needs to see an eye doctor. And so my dad scheduled an eye doctor appointment. I'm saying, Dad, I can see fine. There's nothing wrong with my vision. Why? Because this is all, that's all I ever knew. And I went to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor says, you need glasses. I'm thinking, I don't want glasses. I don't need glasses. Especially those big old horn glasses we had to wear back then. And, and um, in seventh grade, that was a traumatic thing for me to have to start wearing glasses. I thought, I don't need them. And I remember the day I had to pick up my glasses. I'm sitting in the front steps of my house, looking out over the neighborhood, thinking, I see fine. I don't need these stupid glasses. And I got the glasses, came back sat in the same place, holding my glasses, and I put them on. It's like, whoa, <laughs> there's trees, there's, there's birds, there's, there's actually houses up there. And I, I just didn't realize over time that my eyesight had gotten that bad. But those glasses corrected my vision. And I could see 20-20. Now, what's the point of this story? The point is this, that sometimes in life, we may think that things are clear, and maybe they're not. Sometimes the world can lead us astray, and our vision begins to become a little bit blurry. We're too influenced by society, maybe too influenced by the technology that's all around us, maybe too influenced by addictive behaviors, and we begin to go on a path, and it happens very gradually, and before we know it, our vision is beginning more and more blurry. We still believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but our lives are still str- they're struggling. It's like we have one foot still inside the cave and one foot out in the light. And Jesus loves us too much for us to stay there. 
And so he wants us to set up regular eye doctor appointments. You know, I'm supposed to see my eye doctor once a year. Once a year is not enough with Jesus, okay? We need to be going to appointments with him every day. And how do you do that? Number one, pray. Pray for his guidance and direction. Lord, give me clarity in this situation. Lord, lead me on the right path. Help me to see what you want me to do by the power of your Holy Spirit. Letting his spirit live in us, and the spirit gives us that perfect vision more and more. Yeah, we're still going to sin, but through Christ we're forgiven, but we want to strive with the help of of Jesus to see things more clearly. And, And prayer is important, but also, this is so important. I really commend those of you that are going through the Bible in a year. And this is a time of year where you might start slacking a little bit. So I want to encourage you, stick with it. And for those of you who may even start, try to get into it. But this is like the lens. We gotta, as we see life through the Word of God that was fulfilled by Jesus, all of a sudden, life makes a lot more sense. This gives us greater clarity. Not just to read it, but to live it out in our lives. To pray, to be in the Word of God, but also, we need, we need people in our lives that we can trust. People that will call us out. People that know you really well, but yet they, they love you too much that they see you going in a bad direction. Say, you know what, John? You got to recorrect your route here. I think you're getting, your vision's getting foggy. You got to reroute. And we need people in our lives like that. Every one of us need that. And so... We're going out into a world where a lot of people, they don't know about what we believe. They don't realize what it means to be living in forgiveness and grace. They don't understand the salvation that Jesus has won. And they're probably going to think we're crazy. But yet we're called upon to go out there with clarity. And in closing, I was thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. When this man goes on the road from you know, Jericho to Jerusalem, and along the way he gets beaten up and bloodied, and, and three people walk by this guy. Two of them are what? Church leaders, okay? A Levite, you know, and a, another church worker, they, the, the, the priest and a Levite come by, and, and they, what they do? They stop, they walk right by, and they were the church workers of the day. They're probably thinking, you know what, I, I got to get to my church meeting. Or I got to get to church on time. I don't, don't have time to help this person. And, and we got to be careful as God's church that we are like the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is an example of Jesus. The clarity is an ability to see what's happening out there. An ability to see that every day God puts people in our lives that he puts there for us to share love with and to help them in the midst of their challenges. A lot of people, you ask them, do you go to church? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me about your church. And what do they describe? A building. What is a church? It's a people. It's a people that have been given spiritual vision. A people are called upon to live their lives in spiritual clarity according to God's word and spirit. A people that when we leave here, we see what's going on. And I'll tell you what, it's a mess out there. It's a mess. But we have the opportunity, every one of us, each and every day, 
to clean up that mess. And it takes spiritual clarity and a realization that what makes life clear is true love and the love of Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for each one of us, that clarity gets stronger. As we pray, as we follow God's word, as we fellowship with people that hold us accountable, and that we go out in that world and we bring clarity out there, and that um, when people ask us, why do you seem to have such a good life? It gives us an opportunity to respond. Because God wants us to have a great life until we see him face to face. And he gives us every opportunity. And the more clearly we see life from God's perspective, the more we can you know, enjoy what God has blessed us with. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we were blind, but now we see. Just like that man 2,000 years ago, you restored his sight physically, but most importantly, spiritually. You've given us spiritualized sight. And Lord, we are living out in your light. It's amazing. It's incredible. Help us to walk with clarity. Help us not to walk as judgmental or legalistic or lawless Christians, but Lord, help us to walk more in your image, Lord Jesus, of servanthood, an image of eyes open to people that are hurting around us and taking time to assist them and walk alongside of them and realize that's a lot more important than some of the things we so often stay busy with. We pray for clarity for our church, for our school, but Lord, let it begin with us today in greater ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.